Good evening, and welcome to another episode of It's 1985 Good Morning. I'm your host, Corey Fry, and today on the podcast... Good morning! As evidenced by our opening music in place of our usual theme... We've let our hair down for this week's edition of Concurrence. That was Jerusalem, as scored by Vangelis for the motion picture Chariots of Fire, which our panel will discuss later as the only slapstick comedy to win an Academy Award. Today, our topic is the 1980s with emphasis on its gamine frivolity and the devastating implications of its electrifying trends. For perspective, I turn to our panel. To my left, Dr. Pharaoh Wiscup, Professor of Fluorescence at Oregon State University and author of pubescence and the technicolor a post-mortem exploration of the Valspeak phenomenon, due November 2019 from OSU Press. To his left, but in no way right, sits his eminence, Gerard Semple McPherson, Ph.D., author of the self published memoir, Dada East Manga, Bearded Temples I Have Licked. He is also principal flautist for local reggae chamber collective Whiskered Tit, now in its 77th season. Finally, the non-magiscule M.P. Dondorine Conroy, anti-plaid mustache wax activist, Nudist barista and the Mid Valley's only Esperanto fluent Oliver Wendell Holmes cosplayer, all of course from Corvanus. As usual, I'm your host, Alastair Nonyabees. Gentlemen, welcome. Gentlemen, we cannot speak of the 1980s without proper and robust genuflection upon its global economics. What say you, Dr. Wizcup, of the volatile theory, first posited by your mentor, the late Dr. Kincaid McElhenney of the University of Philadelphia on April the 22nd, 1982, in a Speech to an empty gymnasium that these United States are a Keynesian superpower gone mad on elephant tranquilizers, an obvious reference, of course, to the then ascendant popularity of so called Reaganomics. First of all, in response to your initial point, Dr. McElhaney, as your listeners should understand, was a known combative provocateur as well as a pre-Kennedy Democrat. 
However, I would be remiss if I did not remind you that he alone is responsible for the prism through which we regard modern economics. As a matter of fact, as you damn well know, it was no less a luminary than Lloyd Benson who at a 1963 Poughkeepsie dinner party called him a seer without peer and joked in a devastating repost that his forecasts were more trustworthy than the weather reports. I do concede that by 1982 his faculties had diminished somewhat thanks to the tongue acne that eventually killed him in a barbecue mishap witnessed by my adolescent children on my backyard deck in the summer of 1986, yet that did not prevent him from becoming Walter Mondale's most trusted advisor through 1994, and his predictions uh, regarding Reaganomics were proven accurate in a live indication simulcast by C-SPAN in January 2002, and I do not wish to show you those tapes again. With all due respect, sir, I direct you to the contradictory reports as submitted by President Reagan's Subcommittee on Fiscal Responsibility as anthologized in 1989 by... I know where you're going with this, but at least three legitimate bipartisan studies... I would hardly call ramshackled Wagnerian assemblages of aisle-crossing phonies bipartisan, but we must commence to the next topic. I just want to say before we continue that Dr. Kincaid McElhaney was a saint and I miss him. Mon you till I join you. Indeed. Topic two. The proletariat as depicted in motion picture starring Corey's Feldman and Haim. Mr. Dondereen Conroy. Well, thanks, Alistair. First, if I may, I'd like to correct you on the pronunciation of my name. It's actually... All the letters are silent because I believe that the alphabet should not endorse a class system. But in regard to your question, and I know you knew this beforehand... This is the subject of my postgraduate thesis, which I published in October 1992, and am extending and updating for an omnibus of everything I've tossed and discussed onto the floor of my studio apartment. Anyway, the zenith of the Haim-Feldman dynamic as it relates to the proletariat is, obviously, 1987's The Lost Boys. Here... The working class is accurately portrayed as a conflict between innocence, Haim, ambition, Feldman, and destitution, Kiefer Sutherland, with an obvious correlation to vampirism, which we can safely assume is a metaphor for drug addiction. Its implicit message involves vigilance and, I may add, an appreciation for the arts, as personified by the oiled specimen playing jazz saxophone on a beach. Follow these things, the lost boy says, and you will be saved. You will not eat maggots or cry little sister. And what would one make of license to drive? Well, that's a great question, and I'm so glad you asked. Sadly, by this point, the Haim-Feldman oeuvre no longer acknowledges the proletariat, mirroring as it does the post-Gordon Gecko American delusion of affluence. 
Here, everyone is rich, and life's most coveted acquisitions can be idly tossed drunk and unconscious in miniskirts into the backseat of a classic car cheered on by Billy Ocean, much like the country itself. From here, it's a self-destructive decline to dream a little dream and dancing like Michael Jackson in a mansion you rent by the hour for a video shoot. Fascinating! Further on the subject of entertainment, who was the world's most beloved actor of the 1980s, John Gilgood or Ralph Richardson? Mr. McPherson! Frankly, I'd have to say Olivier. He was lucky enough to behold both Vivian Leigh and Joan Plowright in the all together. Professor Wizcup. You know, this is a sensitive subject, you bastard. Please, my curiosity is sincere. Had Ralph Richardson not made that Greystoke abomination, he'd be honored daily with retrospectives and parades. Imagine appearing on screen in your declining years with Christopher Lambert, a terrible actor and a slimy Frenchman. John Gilgood had him beat by miles, and he worked with Dudley Moore twice. And I felt similarly about Olivier and Dustin Hoffman. Can you picture the humiliation Lawrence must have felt upon seeing Tootsie becoming so forlorn he agreed to play a Nazi in Wild Geese too? Good Lord, what a macabre thought. We'll be back after this important message. Hello, I'm Dale Wellbouse for Audio Attic. This Mother's Day, give Mom the gift of music. Enjoy 30% off on all SST titles, plus an additional 40% on any purchase of Huskadoo's Land Speed Record. The first 13 customers to bring in their moms gets a limited edition German import on French butterscotch vinyl single of the Dead Kennedys, Too Drunk to Fuck. But please, no sellouts promoting commercialism or mainstream top 40 radio. If your mom likes the new Murray head, get the hell out of my store and go suck the dicks of those blow-dried Nazis at K104. Otherwise... Come on down and piss on our only copy of David Lee Ross, Crazy from the Heat. Audio Attic. If you don't know where we're located, you're probably a fascist anyway. We conclude on a lighter note with the discussion of our favorite 1980s comedy, Chariots of Fire. I preface this gentleman with the admission that my grandfather gambled with Harold Abrams, the real Harold Abrams, through the finest bathhouses in Cambridge, and he, my grandfather, found Ben Cross's portrayal glorious, despite their preposterous gaff of casting an Irish Catholic to play the celebrated runner. The one scene that always gets me rolling is when Aubrey Montague attends Harold Abrams' funeral service and no one complains about the smell because Aubrey Montague's been dead for 30 years. Classic example of director Hugh Hudson's subtle dalliance with hilarity. 
My favorite running gag is when Harold Abrams keeps calling his fiancée Sybil Gordon, and she's so accustomed to hearing it, she never corrects him by saying, My name is Sybil Evers, and as nice a person as you are, we're not actually going to meet for another decade. Personally, I think we underestimate the devastating wit of Eric Liddell when he says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure, because running isn't a pleasure, it's a natural response to gastrointestinal distress. Quite right. On that, we end this special episode of Concurrence with a rare musical treat. The best rock and roll recording of the 1980s, as selected by our staff. I'm Alistair Nunyabees. Good night.